would like to t- ask you to take your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Matthew chapter 13. While you're doing that, it is so good to see each and every one of you here this morning with us, especially our visitors, the Feltners. We are glad that you were able to be here and chose to use this time to worship with us. And we invite you back at any opportunity that you can to come and sing God, uh, praises to God and study from His Word with us. That's what I want to do this, this morning is spend a little bit of time studying a very short passage that Jesus quotes in Matthew chapter, uh, that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about searching, about seeking. I was asking Amelia, are you good at finding things, Amelia? That's one thing I always remember loving to do whenever I was in school. The day they put out the worksheet that had the, the little picture maybe of a farm scene or a jungle or a city, and they'd say, can you find the little shapes inside of this scene? You know, maybe there was a a broom in the barn roof or something that you'd look and look try to find these pictures. I want to talk to you a little bit about finding things. Let's say someone were to tell you that they had hidden something in a picture, maybe a picture of gravel. And they said, I want you to find the bean in this picture of gravel. Could you do it? Could you look for it? Let me up the stakes just a little bit. What if I said the first one to raise their hand when they found the bean got a million dollars? I'd say you'd probably say, well, let's come up here and take a closer look at this and let's really search. Let's look for that bean. Let's find that bean in this picture. Well, I don't know if your eyes can see it. My eyes couldn't see it from very far back, but my eyes aren't that great. This is not a picture of gravel. This is a picture of coffee beans. There are nothing but beans in this picture. But when you recognize that there's something that I need to find and it's got a great value to it, a million dollars, we can do a lot of money or we can do a lot of things with a million dollars. Maybe we become a little more invested in finding that thing which is looking. You can put your hand there. We can find that, 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 that item that we are searching for. And so I want us to consider that when we read Matthew chapter 13 and verse 45 and think about the parable of the pearl of great price. Jesus says there, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking a beautiful pearl, or seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and brought it. You know, we have been looking at these parables for a while now, and what an excellent song to sing right before we begin this this look uh, at this parable. We shall see the king one day. I hope you thought about those words as we sang that. That one day we are going to rejoice, we will shout, and we will sing along with the King. Because we will, be, we will be forever with Him and His Father in heaven. But that kingdom is available to us today. That's what we've been looking at over and over again. When Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, He was talking about the reign of God in the life of men. He was talking about that established in the church. But He was also talking about that looking forward to that in the future in heaven with God in eternity. And so we can experience on some level the joy of being with the king today when we are in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he gets here. He, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like. He's describing that kingdom of heaven. And so one thing I want us to notice about this is it's not that much different from the, the parable before that we, just, that we read last week. The parable of the hidden treasure. We read that and we learned about this guy that seemingly stumbles upon this great treasure hidden in a field. And he, he sells everything. And we looked at Paul as a depiction of that. Paul, in his conversion, 
was, was one who, who was doing anything but looking for the kingdom. He was trying to persecute the church uh, and prided himself on that. And yet, in stumbling into this great treasure, and that's how he describes it, Colossians 1.13, he talks about how it's a refuge from the power of darkness. Romans 14.17, it's a domain of righteousness, peace, and joy. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29, if you take this to be Paul, he says it's an unshakable kingdom. Over and over again, Paul described it as a great treasure. He was, he was very thankful for the thing that he found. And we see through his life that he valued it with what he gave up to be able to be a part of it. And so Jesus follows that parable up with this one. The parable of the pearl of great price. And the details of this parable, of the person searching for this this. These, these pearls, we see a merchant that's going out and he knows what he's looking for. He's not stumbling around kicking over rocks in a field. He knows exactly what he's looking for. He's looking for pearls of value. And as he's going around and he's trying to find these pearls, all of a sudden, in this one marketplace, he says, there is the pearl. Not just a pearl of great value. This is the pearl, the mother of pearl. This is the one that I want. And he sells everything. The one that he has been looking for. And he, he recognizes the value. And undeterred by its price, he, he gives up everything so that he might have it. Now, if you'll notice, the beginning of this parable, Jesus uses the word again. That should tell us right away that he's linking these two parables together. He's telling us that the kingdom of heaven is extremely valuable. Valuable to those who don't know its value, but come in to discover it. And, and valuable to those who do know its value. This parable. Let me get all the, our stuff up here on the board. Sorry about this. This parable, when we consider the meaning of it, what we consider is it's about a person who's on a mission. It's a person who has a purpose. That's missing in a lot of people's lives today. Plenty of times in Christians' lives it's missing. What is my purpose? You know, that's that great question that has been studied through philosophy through the years. What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Well, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as someone with a purpose. A man with a purpose is seeking a great pearl. Someone that's looking for something of value. He believes that there's something out there worth looking for, worth his time to seek it. And again, when he finds it, he recognizes its value. And he sells everything he has to obtain it. Now, some have, have sought to say then that by the, the sacrificing of things, by the, with the idea of purchasing something, we can obtain our salvation. That is not what this parable is telling us. We cannot obtain our salvation by buying it, or we cannot earn our salvation. Romans 6.23 tells us our salvation is a gift. But in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, we do see a few ideas about how we can, we can maybe you put that in quotes, but we say we could, we could buy that salvation. Let's consider what the Bible says about that. Ephesians 2 verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And if we just keep that, that in thought, it is by grace that we have been saved. Turn over to Colossians chapter 2 and read with me 11 through 13. 
remembering it is by grace that we were saved. And then in verse 11, In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. What do those two passages tell us? It tells us that if we want to buy our salvation, the only way that's possible is to buy it with what God gives us. We don't, in any form of the way, earn enough to try and purchase that salvation for ourselves. But God says, I will give you what you need. I will give you my grace, my power unto obedience, unto faith, unto to walking in those steps of my son. And I will give you my son, his life for yours, his blood to cover your sins. And if you will follow him, you will receive forgiveness from your sin. You can be raised from the dead, raised from spiritual death into spiritual life through baptism. Over and over again, what we see throughout the Bible, I mean, Titus 3 verses 4 through 7 is another example of putting away the body of sin, receiving the washing of regeneration. As we do these things, we're not buying our salvation, but rather we're taking what God has given to us and allowing ourselves to be purchased by Him. He's the one that's buying our salvation. So if we want to view it that way, we need to make sure that we view it in the correct terms. When he talks about the one who, who purchases this great pearl being like the kingdom of heaven, we can purchase that pearl, but not through anything that we do. Not through anything that we have earned, but through the grace of God, the power that he has given us. We come to this relationship with him. And there are some examples of that. We should ask ourselves, how should we react? How should we react when we then know the value of this great kingdom? The kingdom that can be received by giving up all, not of what we have to give, but of what God has given us. By giving it all over to Him. And, and so oftentimes we think of that. You know, we talk about our, our offering this morning. And, and rightfully so, our mind should go to, to a monetary value. That's what we're talking about, taking a collection of, the, of what we have prospered uh, in, in forms of, of value in, this, in that worldly sense of, of money. But so oftentimes when we think of value, that's right where we go to. That's the kind of lifestyle, the culture that not really is you know, 21st century America. This is, this is worldly culture throughout the ages. When you think of value, you think of money. You think of gold and silver and whatever it is that held value in that society. When we read of him selling everything he, that he had and buying this great pearl, we shouldn't read into that of us selling everything that we have to prove that we are some righteous being worthy of being in the kingdom. You know, we saw that in Acts. You read through the book of Acts, you see people like Barnabas that, that are willing to give up a great deal of, of, of monetary wealth for the betterment of Christianity. But you also see people like Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira sold a great product. They sold farm. And yet, just because they did that great deed, they didn't sacrifice everything. And I'm not talking about holding some of it back. It was within their ability to hold it back. They had the right to do that. They could have given none of that to the, to the church and still been perfectly okay in what they were doing. But they hadn't sacrificed submission to God. They hadn't sacrificed obedience to Him. They held back and then they lied about it. 
So it's not the, the prospect of, of selling everything and, and giving some great funds to the church that he's talking about here. He's talking about the value of the kingdom of heaven is someone who sacrifices everything in their lives. Not just money, but maybe how they choose to spend their money, how they choose to walk their, their, their walk each and every day, how they choose to serve God, how they choose to represent him to the world, how they choose to treat their fellow man. What he's talking about here when he talks about one who sold everything in body, he's talking about one that is that is ready to submit himself completely and fully, not on his terms, but on the terms that God has made available to us through Christ. And the examples that we see through that in the Bible are many over and over again. We see people that were seeking something. They weren't just on their way to persecute Christians. They were looking for God they knew the value of God. Turn over to Acts chapter 8 and look with me at the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8 and verses 26 through 28. Here we have a man who recognized the value of God even though he was not a, not a Jew. He is on his way to, or he has been on his way to, to praise and worship God and now is returning home Ethiopia. Verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road that, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Um, or your translation might say this is wilderness. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Why? was a eunuch from Ethiopia under the charge of Candace, the, the queen of Ethiopia. He has this great responsibility. He's in charge of her treasure. He's, he has got so much responsibility placed upon him. Why has he left Ethiopia? He's left Ethiopia because he knows something about God. He wants to know more about God. That is very evident as we continue reading on through there, that, that he is going... that. What we'll see him do is studying God's word, trying to learn more about that. But we'll get to that in a moment. What we want to see first off is that this is a man that spiritually is searching for something of great value. This is a man who somehow, some way, in our, in our class downstairs with the, with the older kids, we talked about Jethro. And the question was asked, did Jethro know who God was before Moses? And we don't know is the answer to that. <laughs> I, don't think we, I don't think we can know if Jethro knew God before Moses. But Jethro knew God after Moses. Jethro comes to God. What we were talking about this morning was his advice to Moses. And his advice to Moses was God will be with you if you do these things. So why does a man from Midian, who probably doesn't know much about God, know the value of having God with you? Because he's seen some things. He's heard Moses come and tell him that this invisible God spoke to me from a burning bush and said, I'm going to go back to Egypt and get his people and bring them out of Egypt. And while that was probably a little confusing to him, his son-in-law then leaves and goes back to Egypt. What he knows about God at this point is he's important enough, he's valuable enough in the eyes of his son-in-law that he's going to leave his family to go do what he has asked him to do. Moses sacrificed a lot to go do that. Jethro is beginning to see the value of God. He sees it even greater when he shows up in the wilderness of Canaan 
with 2.4 million people following him and recognizes God has done this. That God that spoke to you out of the burning bush did these things. Jethro is an example of someone who came to know who God was and saw the value of him. So how did the Ethiopian eunuch come to know who God is? I don't know. But he recognized the value of this God enough that he was willing to leave everything in Ethiopia, whether permission or not, I would assume he did have permission since he came with the, the, the guards, but, but he leaves that area to go and to worship God. The way that God has said throughout the Old Testament, I want to be worshipped. He comes to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 10. Let's look at another one. We'll come back to this one, but let's look at another one. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. Here we see Cornelius. It says, There was a certain man of Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms, alms generously to people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now what do we learn about Cornelius? Cornelius is a man that recognizes the value of God. Why? Again, I don't know. Why does this centurion see this? Maybe, maybe he has heard what Jesus had done in his life. Maybe he has heard from the Israelites what God has done throughout history, uh, or in the, in the Israelites' accounts throughout the Old Testament. Maybe he has seen these things, but for some reason, he knows there is something to this God. This God of Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh, there's something to him. And that led him to seek him. He sought him in prayer. He was on, uh, giving, giving alms, giving generously to people who were in need. And all of this, God sees, is done in memorial to him. And so, again, we find, we, we find righteousness in someone who sees the value of God and is looking for it. That brings back to my mind the promises of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed is he who thirsts or hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be filled. We're going to come back, or we're going to think about that again um, uh, with, uh, as we come back to the Ethiopian eunuch, but I think we see a beautiful example of that played out in the account of Cornelius. If you read the last little bit of that section regarding him, verses 30 through 33, it says, So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting into this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore we are all present before God to hear all things commanded you by God. You know what that tells me about Cornelius? That tells me he hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He said, look, I've been praying to this God because I've known there's something about him. There's something about him that makes him worthy of me sending my prayers to him and walking the life that I'm walking. And then I saw a vision and he said to me in that vision that 
that the things that I've done have been memorial, but there's more that I need to know. And so I need to call you. And guess what, Peter? I've called you and I've gathered everyone that I know to come and hear this because this is important. Start talking. That's the example we see in Cornelius, someone who is searching for something of great value. And then one more. Let's look over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. And consider Lydia of Philippi, or Lydia at Philippi. It says, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight a straight course to Samthrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Again, we find another example of someone who saw the value of God. What was it that she was doing? She was meeting with women to pray. And upon hearing the things that Paul spoke to her about this great God, she responds through baptism. Her, her household, a lot like Cornelius who had gathered so many people, she says, this is important. This is more than just, just something that I should do. She persuades others to follow with her. And so her and her household are, are all baptized and are made faithful to the Lord. Each of these examples reminds us that there are many people, many people who know that there is something out there, some purpose, something that I'm looking for, something that I need, and maybe I don't know exactly what it is, but I want it. I know that I want it. And when by the grace and the providence of God, His knowledge comes to them, and they learn of Christ, and they learn of His kingdom, they are willing to give up everything to obtain it. Those examples in this parable itself, they contain that truth of Jesus' teaching about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You, you're looking for that, you will find it. If that's truly what you're looking for. If you're truly looking for righteousness, it can be given to you and you can find it if you will search for it. And I think it may be that sometimes we do stumble across God's blessings. There are examples of that in the Bible. There's examples of that in our lives of people who had no business ever learning who God was. You look at the lives that they lived and the terrible things that they did. You say, how on earth did that person ever become the person that they are today? A person that, that just exudes the example of Christ in their life. And oftentimes it's because they stumbled upon it. They stumbled upon it in somebody else's example. They stumbled upon it in reading through God's word. Somehow, some way, when they weren't looking for God, they came face to face with him and they recognized his value and they changed their lives. But there are also people that say, I know God's out there. I know God's real. I want to know more about him. I want to be found faithful to him. In the parable of the pearl of great price, 
reminds us that we can ensure that we will find what God has for us. But to do it, we need to be more like that merchant. We need to follow the biblical examples that we see in Scripture. So how do we do that in regards to spiritual matters? We'll go back to that Ethiopian eunuch for just a moment. Let's look back over there in Acts chapter 8. Because I want you to see what he was doing after he leaves Jerusalem. In verses 27 and 28, when we continue on in his account, it says, He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charged off all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet spoke about the coming of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom. What better place to be reading for someone who has just left Jerusalem, has come from a great distance to worship God, and no doubt has heard while he was there about this crazy sect that says that the kingdom is established today. He's on his way back to Ethiopia, and we don't know that he heard that for certain, but how could he not, given the influence that is going on, the persecution that's going on in Jerusalem this day of this people, people were, were talking about it. Later we find that they had turned the world upside down where they went. It flipped the culture. And so he's on his way home and he's reading Isaiah, which is prophesying exactly what's going on in that day. But he doesn't quite understand what he's reading. When, he, Peter, uh, when uh, excuse me, Philip comes up to him and asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He makes it clear, no. But he also says, I'm welcome to, to teach. I'm welcoming you to teach. I'm welcoming to, to learn. Let's talk about what I'm reading. What's the example of the Ethiopian eunuch? The Ethiopian eunuch teaches us to be a student and never stop being a student. Sometimes we get the idea, I've read that. I don't need to read it anymore. I've studied that. I don't need to study it anymore. We need to be students of Scripture that are always open to learning. Always opening ourselves to growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and not stopping at that at some point and saying, all right, I've reached this, this level of spirituality where I don't, I, there's nowhere else for me to go. When we come to that point, when we come to that thought and think, I've read this, very, you know, I've read the New Testament a hundred times. I've read the Old Testament 500 times. I don't need to read this stuff again. I've read it enough. Inevitably, what we begin to do is we begin to drift away. We begin to shrink and we begin to die because we need the Word of God in our lives. We need to be like this Ethiopian eunuch who's just left Jerusalem, just left worshiping God and says, I need more. I want more. And so let's learn from the Scriptures and let's apply the Scriptures to the best of our understandings and let's open them up with other people. And let's talk to other people. There's nothing wrong with getting advice and getting help and understanding scriptures from others. But let's remember this one thing. Acts chapter 17. Let's remember this. The authority doesn't come from Philip in this passage. The authority doesn't come from somebody else. It comes from the scriptures. In chapter 17, verse 10, it says the brethren, this is the brethren at Berea, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Excuse me, the Brethren of Berea are who we're talking about here. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. 
And these are more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So these Berean brethren that Paul and Silas are sent to, they hear the teaching of somebody else. Paul and Silas are opening up the scriptures, no doubt opening up the Old Testament, and speaking to them at the synagogue. And you know what they're doing? They're saying, we welcome this. So often, I've, I've, I've heard it said in the past, you know, I, I, will, I, I won't use a, a book in a Bible class because that's the thoughts of men. I won't use a commentary or a dictionary or, or a concordance because those are the thoughts of men. I only need the Scripture, and I stand with anyone who thinks that, that we only need the Scripture. But the example that we see over and over again is good students of the Bible say, tell me more about what you think this means. And they listen, but they do what the Bereans do. They weigh out the, what they hear. What you hear in a class book, what you hear in a commentary, what some... You know, Thayer's or, or Vines or Strong's or one of these dictionaries or concordances, what they say, that's not gospel. That's not the truth. It's based on, but it's not the truth. So weigh it out against what the scriptures have to say, but also don't discount it. Don't say, well, I just I won't use any of those things. Recognize that, that these men did the same thing. They said, I've got God's word. I've got the inspired word of God right in front of me. But I need some help understanding it. And Paul and Silas here, Philip and, and with the Ethiopian eunuch, they said, let me help you to understand it. And the example that we see from the Bereans is that they took the words of an inspired apostle and they said, we need to, we need to confirm this. We need to take what you have said. Someone who is the mouthpiece of God, who's written so many letters that, that are described in 2 Timothy as the being inspired by God, as if God breathed the words out Himself, He's talking to them and they're saying, we need to double check that. So we need to follow the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. We need to study God's Word. And we need to open ourselves up to studying with others. Getting the insight that others have to give. Maybe someone who is more knowledgeable than you. Someone who's been in the, the, the kingdom longer and has studied longer can help out in some way. But we need to also recognize that they're not the source of authority. It might help us out immensely, but we need to compare it back to what Scripture is saying at the end of the day, demonstrate that it is the true authority in our lives. If we act like the Ethiopian eunuch, the Bereans, Cornelius, Lydia, if we act like so many other religious people who recognize that they were in a lost state, recognize presently there is something that needs to change. You know, when you go back to that Ethiopian eunuch, he was, he was worshiping God. I imagine he thought he was a pretty good person. I've come all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to praise and worship God. What more do I need? I need to study. That's what I need. And then he gets talking to Philip. And Philip says, here, let, let me help you understand about the kingdom that you're reading about. And he starts learning about Jesus Christ. And as they get to water, he says, wait, wait a minute. That stuff that you obviously told me about Jesus Christ and baptism... Because he's not, he's not learning that simply from reading the Scripture. He's, he's having Philip teach him what Jesus has said in his life on earth. He says, what's hindering me from following that? What keeps me from doing what God has called me to do? And Philip says, you are the only thing that can keep you from doing that. 
He says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they both went down into the water, and he baptized them. That tells me that this Ethiopian eunuch, he might have thought he was a good guy, but when he learned who Jesus was, when he learned what Jesus did, he recognized, I don't have entrance into this kingdom. And I will never be able to come into this kingdom until I can do what he has said for me to do. What's keeping me from it? That's a person who's looking for something of great value, finds it in God, and says, I'll give up everything. I will give up anything so that I can have that for my own. Are you a person who is searching for the pearl of great price? If it is your desire this morning to find God, to find Him for the, the, the value that He brings to us. As we talked about at the beginning of this sermon, as we talked about yesterday, He gives us refuge from darkness. He gives us a place to be hidden from the storm that we find ourselves in because of sin. He gives us protection from the powers of darkness, from the powers of Satan, in that we have entered into a kingdom of a family that goes through the same things and says, we want to help you be stronger. We want to help you serve God right. He says within that kingdom we find righteousness and we find peace and we find joy and it will never be shaken. It will never crumble and it's destined for eternity with God in His glory. If you see the value of that and you say, I want that, what we're here to tell you this morning is the same thing that Philip told the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian eunuch. You can have it. It is available to you if you want it. If you're willing to pay the price. Jesus likewise said, count the cost. Count the cost, but then pick up the cross and follow me. And so our invitation to you is not really our invitation. It's the invitation of God to all those who recognize and believe that Jesus is his son, that he came to this earth so that they could be free from their sin. His invitation is come follow me. And it's a, it's a heavy cross to bear. It, is, it is, comes with persecution and he implores us, you count the cost. But when you count the cost, you can know that you have given up everything. That you will be willing to come and you will be willing to follow him into glory with Father. Maybe you've made that decision already, but in your life you've realized that you pretty much, you pretty much quit paying that price. Over time, you have, you have turned back to the world. Over time, you've turned back to the things you've went. And whatever it was that you, that, that you paid to receive that pearl... You started trying to get it back. Get back the sins that, that you used to commit. The thoughts that you used to think. Walking in the path that you used to walk. His invitation to you is that it's not too late. But we don't know. We don't know when the Lord will return. So let's not wait until it is. Let's make the decision today to follow Him. If there's something that we can do to help you in starting your walk with Him or continuing it today, it is our desire to do so. Won't you please let us know how we can by coming forward as we stand and as we sing.